Do not confuse this with treatment or mental health advice or direction. Nothing on this podcast is made to supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your mental health caretakers. Although David Kozlowski is a licensed marriage and family therapist, he is not functioning as a certified mental health professional in this environment. But same applies to any professionals who may appear on the Light the Fight podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Light the Fight. I'm here riding with you solo. If you follow Heidi on social media, you'll know that she is at the beach having a good old time. I'm here in Utah, still licking my wounds from having issues, but I won't get into that because it's pretty depressing. I don't want you guys to come to this podcast listening about all my health problems every week. and Yeah, that's, that's, that's not fun for anyone, including myself, so... Anyways, today, um, since I'm riding solo and I'm not feeling this feeling that great, today's episode uh, is going to be light the fight light. Um, <laughs> basically, it's going to be a little bit shorter and probably a lot shorter. But I decided I want to do something a little bit different today, something that I think uh, you guys will enjoy. I know um, it's something that I'm excited to talk about. Um, some of you may be familiar with what I'm going to be doing today if you uh, watch YouTube or if you're on YouTube a lot. I'm going to be doing a, a reaction video. And so before this podcast gets started, um, I just want to let you guys know that in the description of this episode, there will be a link that you can easily click on to go and watch this video. Now, what I want you to do, the video is only about four or five minutes long. I want you to watch this video first because the animation really helps the story. And I want you to kind of listen to it, think about it, and then what I'm going to do is I'm going to play the video here live and I'm going to go through it with you and I'm going to give some of my commentary, some of my feedback and, and, and weigh in on some of the, the details of this video. Um, and this is a video that we've gotten requests. We haven't gotten a request for this actual video, but what we have gotten requests for is um, videos, um, not videos, but topics that some of our younger parents out there or parents who have younger children, specifically babies, small children, that are wondering what can you do to be able to make sure that your kids, when they become teenagers, don't require you to listen to podcasts like Light the Fight. Meaning, you want to make sure that you do everything in your power when your kids are younger to set them up for success in their preteens and teen years. And even if you do everything great, I mean, teen years are going to have their... There are challenges regardless, but this is definitely going to be one of those topics that can help you younger parents out there. And uh, for those of you, or maybe you're, you're an older parent, you've had lots of older kids, but maybe you've had a, an, another kid recently or got remarried and having a, a new run at the whole entire um, child thing. And so you, you got some younger kids at the moment. So whatever your situation is, or if you know someone that may benefit from today's topic, um, please uh, share it with them. But also to check it out for yourself, um, the topic for today is how unloving parents generate self-hating children, okay? Before we get to that topic, I just want to give you just a quick reminder um, to, if you're in need of eyewear, please support our sponsors or support us by using uh, this great company. It is Lingo Eyewear. Heidi and I have talked about them. I'm wearing Lingo eyeglasses. You can't see it right now. Um, I love my glasses and 
that's legit. Like I've never had to have glasses. The experience they gave me has been nothing but amazing. So check them out. www.liingoeyewear.com and then put in backslash light the fight. Um, light the fight is our promo code, right, Brandon? Uh, the full word spelt out, light the fight. And if you choose to use their services, put in light the fight and you will get $30 off your first order. And also, we'd like to give a big shout out to 1-800-CONTACTS, who has always been our community sponsor well, for many years now. So we want to thank them that make this whole thing possible and for supplying us with all the cool equipment we need to give you or to send you uh, an amazing podcast. And last of all, I want to also remind you, for those of you who are not aware of what Heidi and I do for bonus content on a platform called Patreon, please click the description or in, if you go to like uh, iTunes and you click on the podcast app or whatever app that you happen to be listening to this podcast on, in the app itself, in the description of this podcast, there's a link that says www.patreon.com backslash light the fight. That's spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com backslash light the fight. If you click on that link, it can it takes you right to how to sign up for Patreon. Patreon uh, is $5 a month. And what it does is it allows you and allows us to communicate in a more personal way. But also it gives you bonus content that we do every single week to make sure that you guys get a little bit of extra light the fight information. And for today's episode, after I record this episode, I'll be recording another reaction video on Patreon. And that video is going to be about how childhood trauma leads to addiction. This is another great video that I'm going to be um, talking about and sharing my insights on. Um, so if you're interested in, if that sparks your curiosity at all, uh, how childhood trauma leads to addiction, click on the link or just type in your URL, www.patreon.com backslash light the fight. And you can sign up. Like I said, it's very easy to sign up and just costs $5 a month. And of course, it's a way for Heidi and I to be able to pay some of our bills here at light the fight so that we can continue to do this podcast. Cause, um, yeah, it's a, uh, it's not free. It doesn't do itself. we got to show up, stuff like that. Anyways, you guys need to know about all that stuff. So anyways, if that sounds interesting to you to get some extra content and how children's trauma can lead to addiction, go check it out. Um, so let's get into, uh, the video now. So as I mentioned today's video, um, I'm going to be talking about uh, childhood trauma as well and um, a different type of childhood trauma but this is about how unloving parents can create insecurities can create troubles for their children as they get older now um, as we go over the video um, I'll be describing because unloving sounds like oh gosh like I love my kids every parent can say they love their kids I'm not talking about not having love for your kids in your heart but there's certain things that translate that communicate to your kids, especially your very young kids, that you love them or not. And this video does a great job of talking about that. But like I said, I want you to first now stop the podcast, go watch the video, click on the description of this video. It'll take you to YouTube. Watch it. Just take four to five minutes. Come back and then I'm going to go over it again, but this time with a little bit of commentary uh, to the video and adding my insights. So Please go watch it, and I'll meet you back here in just a few minutes. All right, now that you've watched the video, and now that um, 
you have an understanding of what this episode and my reaction is going to be about. Uh, you don't know what my reaction is going to be, but you definitely know what the video is about. It's about how unloving parents generate self-hating children. Now, I'm going to play the video again myself right now. And as I'm playing the video, you'll be able to hear the audio as I'm playing it. And as I stop it, I'll talk about it. And then at the end of it, I'll give some thoughts and some summary. Um, just a quick reminder, um, we've got some requests from people that wanted to know about some tips and information to help them that are younger parents or parents that are having another run at parenting um, and they got younger kids, uh, specifically very young children. I mean, we're talking babies, toddlers. And this video is definitely going to give you some added insight to how to not screw up your kids because no one wants to screw up their kids, right? We, we all want to make our kids as, as least like our worst attributes as possible. No parent wants to be like, or no parents ever said, I want my kids to be just like me. That's insane. No one wants their kids to be just like them. They want their kids to be better than them. I want my kids to be better than them. You want your kids to be better than you, hence why you're listening to Light the Fight. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get this. Let me get to the very beginning of this video. Let me see if I can get to Okay. Uh, let's get started. Here we go. A central fact about early childhood is that babies are born into the world entirely at the mercy of others. They have no native strength, intelligence or utility. They cannot fight or complain, walk away or argue their case. Their survival depends solely on their capacity to look up from their cots with vast, innocent, beautiful eyes and charm their parents into caring for them. It's Okay, I want to talk about that for a second. When I first watched this video, I thought this was very, very interesting. Now, it took me back to my old old school days. You know, I'd say I had to dust off the school books, but I don't even have those school books from graduate school anymore. Some of them are so outdated, I'd, I'd be scared to quote some things from those books. Shows you how, how long ago I went to graduate school. It was in the early 2000s. But in this video, when she talks about um, their only way to, like, to survive is to look up at their parents and be cute and loving to the point that their parents want to take care of them. Now, I use parents loosely because I didn't have my actual biological parents take care of me. Hence, I can relate a lot to this video. And, you know, I, I, I had love for my grandparents, but not having my biological parents there. And I, I can't say for a fact um, that that affected me because I didn't know that it was my biological parents. But I can definitely tell you I wasn't getting breastfed. <laughs> so there's some things that, and you know, and not that you have to breastfeed your kids to have a connection with them, but there's some things about my situation that obviously I learned later on in life. But that's so interesting how our little kids, that is their best way that they can survive is to be cute, to be adorable, and to look up at us with such amazing, just soft butteriness that we just want to love them and want to care for them. So just want to add that in for a second. Let's continue. It's their power to attract love that ensures they will be fed and clothed, protected and kept alive. In exchange for this nurture, young children readily offer their parents or caregivers unconditional admiration. Unconditional admiration. Let's stop it there for a second. Young children, in exchange for their care and their nurture, offer unconditional admiration. 
you know, it's in many ways, it's unfortunate that we don't remember what it was like during those times of our life. For those of you who have had bad early childhood experiences, um, it's probably best that you don't remember that. But it makes sense because everything in relationships is an exchange system. Some are good exchange systems. Some are very manipulative exchange systems. As adults, we sometimes are friends with people simply because they are our boss. Uh, We go to their parties because if we don't go to their parties, then maybe that could affect our status with our friend groups or our employment or something along those lines. But this is the most purest form of a relationship exchange. Parents take care of their babies and the babies look up with complete admiration in like that's what they can give their parents. And as a parent, if you've ever had a small kid, um, and I assume you have since you're listening to this podcast, that feeling that your kids just look up at you with that admiration, oh my gosh, if that doesn't fill the gas tank, I don't know what does. So that admiration is very real. Continuing on. They naturally adore and are boundlessly impressed by those who pick them up and bathe them, warm their milk and change their sheets. They are in awe at these giant people who know how to turn on a washing machine and kick a ball over a tree. There is, at this stage, no innate desire whatever to question or doubt figures of authority. No need to question or doubt figures of authority. Parents, aren't those the good old days? Man, those days when our kids were just so obedient, they didn't question anything. Of course, they couldn't talk, so they couldn't question anything. If they're upset or angry, it's usually because they're tired, they're hungry. They, it's a communication. They're trying to get us notifications. They're trying to let us know something. But they're not defiant. They've never lied to us. They've never said, oh, well, my, my phone died. You know, that's why I couldn't tell you uh, where I, my location was at, why you couldn't see my location uh, you know, uh, my, uh, yeah, it was, it was crazy. My phone died and everyone else's phone died that I was with. I was all 10 people and no one had a charger. It was the weirdest thing. <laughs> Continuing on. Given what is at stake, it follows that small children are instinctively hugely sensitive to how well they are doing at getting their admired protectors on their side. If they feel they are loved, they can relax into themselves and get on with the many other pressing priorities of early childhood working out how to eat solids, figuring out what a plug socket is. Awesome. Let me go back here for a second. If if, uh, a child is extraordinarily sensitive to how good they are at getting their parents' attention, think about that for a second. I don't think most people, you know, and and honestly, when I was watching this video, I'd forgotten about this because I don't usually work with, well, I don't work with young, young children. Not many therapists work with babies, uh, but even younger kids, when I did work with younger kids and I do play therapy and stuff like that with them, you know, it's, it's something that it, it's not, it's not something that even I myself think about, but it makes perfect sense. They're extraordinarily sensitive at how good they are at getting our attention. If they get our attention and we come to their aid, then they can ease into themselves they can be able to con- like self-soothe. They can feel relaxed. They can feel comfortable. Now, this video doesn't talk about the neurochemical called oxytocin, but this neurochemical is, is, is being released into the parent's body. It's being released into the baby's body. 
and it sounds an alarm of concern like I need help. And when the parent comes to the baby's aid, then the baby gets another release of the chemical to calm the baby, to let the baby know you're loved, you can take it easy now, you're going to survive, you're going to be okay. How a button functions, what words are and how soap bubbles form. But if love is in more restricted supply, the picture grows a whole lot more complicated. There are childhoods in which, for a variety of reasons, parents fail to be charmed as they might be. They leave the baby to scream, they shout at one another, there might be violence and hysteria, lethargic despair and terror. The young child knows instinctively it is in grave danger. If the situation is not somehow corrected, in extremis, it may be left on a hillside to die. Okay, let's talk about this for a second. Now, what I'm about to say may um, prick some people a little bit, may make them feel uncomfortable a little bit, because it may um, be right in the face of what they've learned, what they've been taught, which is very much a wise tale. Now, what I'm about to expose or about to share is something that has been taken to the extreme. And when parents take certain things to the extreme or when they take like, oh, this is good for a child, but they're taking that at a different time. So what I mean is that some parents will do what I'm about to say, but they're doing it much too early in the child's development. So in this part, it talks about um, the child is able to focus on things like how, you know, don't stick your finger in a light socket, how a button works. Uh, all these little motor skills, all these little things that a child has to, to, to do for learn to, for, to, for them to improve their development. They're able to do those things better if they get the attention and the love from their parents because they're able to be calm. They're not fearful of their survival. But like it says in the video, things become much more grim and much more bleak if the child is not consistently getting the love, affection, and attention from their caregiver. Then the child really struggles and starts to go into fight or flight mode. It starts to be fearful. Oh, drop my water bottle. It starts to be fearful that they could be left stranded and abandoned and die because they know that they're vulnerable and they're weak and they're incapable of taking care of themselves. So what, what I meant by something that may fly in the face of people and some of their early parenting techniques and tactics is parents that choose to leave their babies crying in a crib after the baby has slept sufficiently. And I'm using this as one example. I've heard this from many people in my own personal life. My clients were, they will tell me that when their child is crying, that they were told that if they run to the child's aid every single time they cry, then their child will be spoiled, it'll be coddling the child, that this is not healthy and good for the child. And I say, absolutely right, when they're older. You don't want to run and and hug, you know, a 12-year-old and shake them like, like, like you're in a rocking chair saying, baby, are you okay, you're okay, when they scrape their knee. That is not the developmental stage to do that. However, when your child, going back to the sleeping metaphor, 
if your child needs, if your baby needs or is really only needs about 10 hours of sleep in the night, because remember they're taking naps, right? So let's say they get 10 hours of sleep. You found that they'll wake up, they'll toss and turn, they'll play in their, their crib a little bit, and then if no one comes to get them, they'll fall asleep. Or they'll cry for a little bit, go back, lay down, and they'll fall asleep again, and then they are in there for 13, 14, 15, even sometimes 16 hours. And I know many parents that do this. They will tell me that the reason why they do that is because the child actually needs more sleep or they will say, well, they just went back to bed. And so, gosh, you know, you know, they're just making up on sleep. You know, this is helpful. This is needful. This is like good for them. And I like to remind people that maybe, maybe it is good for them for their rest, but it's not good for them for their reassurance. What this video is saying is it's telling us, and, and this is this video isn't something that someone made up. You know, this is coming from psychology and from, from the research from this field. That when you don't attend to a small child and a baby's needs when they need it, it sends the message that they're not able to get your attention. And that message can translate itself into older childhood and teen years and adulthood as if they are not good enough. Now, it'll talk later in the video about how they can't remember these things later on. But the reason why I bring this up and I use that analogy for the sleep part is because I, I can't judge a parent. I can't tell you and say, oh, in this particular moment, they didn't need the sleep. You were the one that needed the sleep. You're tired. Every parent can justify not showing up and not doing as much for their kid because A, their parents didn't do that much for them. B, they don't have enough support. C, they're too tired. D, E, I mean, I can go on and on and on. Only you as a parent will know if you are not up to the task energy-wise, stamina-wise, support-wise to be able to care for your kids when they need to be cared for. It's so easy to justify doing the bare minimum when you've been worn, tired throughout the day. Maybe you work, you come home, maybe you're a single parent. Maybe you got a difficult relationship in your life and you know you and your partner are struggling and the child is like, even though you love them, which obviously you're going to love them, but you do not have the energy to show up for them for these basic needs. So it's easy to validate in lots of ways to not go into the crib, pick them up and wake them up, change your diaper and play with them. Or if they fall and hurt themselves, I've seen parents with very, very young kids sit there and say, get up, figure it out. Come on, don't cry. Don't do this. Don't do that. Oddly enough, from my experience, many of these parents have insecurities that they don't want their kids to be a crybaby like they were, or they don't want, they want their kids to be tough and strong because they feel like they're weak and they're not tough. The problem is, is at early developmental stages, this is not the move. This is not what you want to do because they don't even speak English yet. They don't understand what you're, you're trying to sit there and go, you got to get up on your own. You got to figure it out on your own. I've had parents that just, they say, yeah, they're just let their kids run around like little feral kids. And like, you know, cause I, I think that's a good thing for them. And I go, really? Okay. And they don't know that they think you're in, uninterested in them. And this is where you get kids that are hitting a lot. that are angry and crying out and pissed off and getting upset because they're not getting your attention. They feel like they're failing at this. 
Now, when I've done a history with the teenagers that parents bring into me, and by the way, good people, great individuals, better places in their life, and they're wondering why their teenager, their older child is so disrespectful and, and dismisses them and doesn't take them serious, doesn't listen to them. Not all the time, but often I'll ask them questions about when they're born and raised, like what type of stresses do you have going on? Parents will tell me like, oh, I was working tons of hours at my job. And the other parents like, oh, I was doing this and this and that. And they tell me about all these things and they start to share and explain to me stories how they didn't have the time or the energy to attend to their children in the manner in which their children needed at those times. I can't blame these parents for that because hindsight's always twenty twenty. I can't sit there. Well, I could, but it wouldn't be helpful. I couldn't sit there and just start shaming them, say, well, you should have done this, you should have done that, or else you wouldn't have these problems. So I guess you're screwed. There's nothing you can do now. No, my job is to help people do the best with what they have, regardless that they didn't know back then what they were doing. So young parents or parents that are having a second run of this, be very careful that you're honest with yourself. Am I neglecting giving love to my kid right now because I'm too tired or because I feel like they need to learn a lesson? If you are trying to teach them a lesson at younger stages, when I'm talking about younger stages, I'm really saying, I mean, it's arguable anything like up to six or seven, but definitely the one, two, three, and four years, especially those years where they're throwing temper tantrums all the time, because there's a lot of books out there that says, you got to let them have a timeout. You got to let them sit there and cry it out. Well, I'm not saying that that's not a good thing. What I'm saying is, how often are you going to do that? If you make that your rule, that you're going to put your kid in timeout, put their face up against a wall and say, you have to deal with this and I'm not going to give you love and affection until you submit to my power and control. If that's your go-to every single time, you're missing the mark. That can be an effective tool after you've tried everything else. But what parents do is they realize if they jump all the other steps and go strictly, or not strictly, but quickly to time out, face up against the wall, especially publicly in front of other people, unknowingly they're making a big mistake. Those techniques and those tools are great to be used once you've given the time and attention, you've talked to them, you've worked with them, you've taken many, many steps. But if you do that out of anger and out of frustration and you just shortcut and you go right to that, and then you find out, wow, this works because the kid doesn't like this. And so they submit or, you know, it just gets me the, the outcome that I want or I just don't have the time and energy to go through all those other steps. You're unknowingly causing your child to feel like they are not loved. But again, only you can make that decision. I'm not there in your households. I don't know if that's the exception to the rule or if that's the rule. And when people read parenting books, they go, oh, this is what I need to do. Nowhere in least the books I've read says this is what you need to do every single time for seven years. No, 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 no. The coddling, that becomes more of an issue as they get older and they can manipulate you. Not when they're younger and they're just crying out for help and they need to be loved. So continue on in the video. At this point, our biology initiates a desperate yet darkly logical process. The young child starts to try a lot harder. It redoubles its efforts to charm, to be good, to do what could be expected of it. 
to smile, to ingratiate itself. It wonders what may be wrong with itself to explain the parental disapproval and harm, and doesn't feel any alternative but to search in its own character and behavior for answers. At the same time... Right there. Um, child doesn't feel any other alternative except to search inside their own character and behaviors. Like, what am I not doing that's not getting my parents' attention? A while back, I was asked uh, to talk about this subject on a local uh, local NBC uh, affiliate called KSL out here in Utah. And um, I was sharing with them, and many of you may have heard this or just intuitively may have known this. Many, well, not many, all children, specifically young children, are in competition for our attention with our devices. Next time you're at a dinner table or at a movie theater or, um, or not movie theater, I, I saw this recently at the zoo. Um, uh, and, and not to be judgmental or critical of other people, but in, to be observant so that we can better see this inside of ourselves. You'll see parents in public situations on their phones and their kids tugging on them, trying to get their attention. And I don't believe that these are bad parents. I don't believe that these are parents that don't care about their, their kids. But they're drifting. And they're just trying to not be bored. Or they're just trying to like stay awake, whatever it may be. There's probably lots of good reasons. Or they're just addicted to their phone. right? You can be a good parent and addicted to your phone. Meaning like you can be a loving parent. But because you're addicted to your phone, your kid does not get your attention. That love is not conveyed to your child. But observe other people in public situations and see the disappointment, the sadness, or the anger and frustration that comes over their kids when their kids lose the competition battle with their parents, for their parents' attention, with their devices. It is a sad thing to see. I don't go up to people and say, hey, here's my card, or like, you need to stop doing that. I get it. I understand it. And it is, it is not the move that your kids need to develop self-esteem and to believe that they are worth being loved. So continuing on. And if you're listening to this right now, right now I'm at 2 minutes and 31 seconds into the video. At the same time, the child resists what might, from an adult perspective, seem like the obvious move. To get annoyed with and blame the adults in the vicinity who are not looking after it as they should. But such a bold thought does not belong to the defencelessness of the early years. We are in no position to mount a challenge to our protectors when we can hardly reach the door handle, let alone turn on a tap. We need to have our own front door key and bank account before cynicism is a realistic option. It is far more intuitive to wonder why we are horrid than to complain of being unfairly and unkindly treated. That's a good point that they make. Little kids are too young to, to be able to think for themselves. They don't have the independence for them to say, you know, you're being a bad parent, right? She said, like, they can't be cynical when they're that young. They're like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Like, they have no way to acknowledge. It's like, hey, listen, you need to step up your game, mom, dad. Like, you're not paying attention to me. Now, my son at a very young age, he told me that he felt like I loved my phone more than him. And I mean, my jaw dropped. I'm like, well, gosh, apparently I failed in practicing what I preach. I'm a hypocrite. And luckily for me, I have a very, uh, my son's very like, very much like my wife. My daughter would have never said that to her, would have said that to me. She may not even picked up on that. But my son, he will be that person. If he doesn't like something, oh, he returns it. That's my wife. She doesn't like something. She's oh, that's not what I like. She'll tell you exactly what she's thinking. 
Me, not so much. My daughter, not so much. But my son, he grabbed my phone and pushed it down. And like, hey, look at me. And I was like, what? And I, I looked at him. Next day, he had to do it again. It was a bad day, two days in a row. He goes, you love your phone more than me. And I'm like, this little... I was like wanting to get mad, but I'm like, I could see where he's coming from. To him, it looked that way. I mean, I put my phone down shortly after I got off social media. That was just, you know, my own decision. But point is... This was something that I was like, wow, he doesn't know that it's not something wrong with him. He just assumes that he is not good enough or capable or entertaining enough to get my attention. Okay, let's continue on the video and should be around three minutes and seven seconds on the screen. It says, why are we horrid? Small children therefore naturally turn injury done to them into dislike of themselves. They ask not so much, why does my parent fail to care for me, as how might I have failed this admirable person? They hate themselves rather than doubt those who should be protecting them. Shame replaces anger. It feels on balance like the safer option. A vicious spiral of self-hatred then sets in. The unloved growing child wonders constantly about their faults. Their parent may be alcoholic, narcissistic, sadistic or depressed. They may never cook a proper meal or shout intemperately from their bedroom. But none of that matters in the slightest. The parent cannot be envisaged as anything other than substantially impressive. To explain the lack of love from the paragons of parenthood, it must be that the child is an awful person. They must be stupid and mean, selfish and slow, physically repulsive, and irritating and shallow. I want to come on that for a second. Let's not think about our kids for a second. Let's think about our own childhood. When you're when you're watching this and you're hearing this, any of you that have in adulthood struggled in dating or struggled at a job and you just have this tendency to always feel like, well, I guess I'm worthless or it's my own fault. Or if any of you have just engulfed yourself in Brene Brown books about shame, you should be able to relate to this part of this video. I would say that most parents nowadays are not sadistic or, you know, self-consumed in, in like a narcissistic type way. When we talk about parents that are unloving, again, it's parents that effectively show up and show that love. When you were younger, you could have had really good parents that provided for you and did all these things and had great attributes. But for whatever reason, their own lives, they may not have been able to validate that you were worth enough. And if they weren't validating that, it internalizes itself. And all those things, all those things that the critics would say, all those things that, that later on in life people are going to call you, you'd already had that story and that narrative in your mind as a young child. So if you've ever felt as an adult that when people said horrible things to you, that logically you know you shouldn't take it personal. Logically you know they're full of crap. But somehow it like connects with something deep in your core. Well, it's probably a good chance that these are feelings and thoughts that are so native to your past and your childhood. That when you hear those things, it's like, ah, oh, that's familiar. This is not new. It must be true. Okay, let's go ahead and continue. Watch the rest of it. As childhood gets left behind, much of this dynamic is forgotten. 
the adolescent and young adult overlooks exactly what went on. They cannot necessarily think clearly of the early years, and parental figures may be keen that they never do so. The former child can't tell any more that their feeling of shame has specific origins. It can feel like something they might have been born with, a natural phenomenon, like bad weather or the flu. Liberation awaits us when we dare to take on board a highly implausible idea, that our self-hatred, far from being inevitable, is an internalisation of early deprivation, and that far from needing to revere and admire those who denied us love, we are in a position to understand, to question, to be annoyed and to mourn what we did not receive. Okay, what she talks about right here is, is in, 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 no, I mean, in a nutshell, this is what therapy, counseling, coaching, any sort of self-progression or work that people do for self-healing, reading good books, this is the intent. Generally speaking, when our brains are fully developed, we have the ability to process that our parents can be the people that we love and admire and they were young or they didn't know what the hell they were doing half the time when they were parents. That that saying that like, oh yeah, parenting, people have said that and felt that parenting doesn't come with a handbook. That's a very true statement. And parents, as they get older, when they're dealing with adolescents, they don't recall all these little details about what they did or didn't do when you were just a baby. In fact, if there wasn't pictures that they took when you were a baby, they they wouldn't remember those moments. Their brain can't store all those things and keep them. And then you as a child, you know, there's no way anyone remembers the first three years of their life. And if they did, it's like little Vietnam flashbacks. <laughs> it's like either happy, mo oh, horrible moments or happy moments. But they're faded, faded, like just granule, like just not really clear memories. So doing a lot of work to better yourself Sometimes that, that comes in the form of going to counseling or coaching or whatever for your kids. People watch this podcast. Yeah, what brings them here and to listen to this is to be a better parent, to to be a better, you know, mother, daughter, father, son, whatever it may be. But if we look back at our own childhood and we're listening to this podcast, we start to figure out that this is just as much for us to heal from the things that hurt us so that we don't pass it on to the next generation. Okay, so we're almost done here. We are not so despicable after all. We've just, till now, lacked any better ideas to explain why we didn't manage to charm those who should have loved us from the start. Yeah, you know, that theme of like a baby and a child just needing to get the attention and love and affection from their parent. And if they're unable to do that, they internalize it like, man, what was wrong with me that I couldn't charm them? I couldn't get them to love me from the start. Um, there's a technical term for that, and I've used this term on the podcast plenty of times. It's called unfinished business. And um, it's very typical. I mean, one of the typical cases of it is when you see a, you know, a girl on a reality show. If you ever you know watch reality shows that, you know, they give them lots of alcohol and, and the girl gets drunk and then she breaks down and starts crying and and she just wants to find love and she's had all these bad relationships and and it it comes down to sometimes daddy issues not getting the love from a guy unknowingly they try to fill that with 
man, if I could get the love from another guy who triggers those same feelings of insecurity, then maybe perhaps if I can get that person to love me, it'll heal the child who couldn't get my dad to love me. Unfortunately, that's far from a perfect science. And in fact, it's not the best approach. Oftentimes people, you know, and I'm using, since I'm using girl in that situation, a girl that falls into that daddy issues category and something that she knows, something that she's conscious of. But when she's in relationships, she finds herself being in similar relationships with different looking men, but similar ways that they make her feel. This is so in, ingrained in the subconscious, like they said, in our early childhood experiences, it leaves a girl thinking like, what is wrong with me? She may turn away partners who would be great for her, people who would want to love her and, and be the best match for her. But because of those un, you know, unfinished business or unresolved issues, she's unable to see that she doesn't need someone that doesn't love her to try to get them to love her for her to feel like she's worth being loved. Now, this is a process, and trust me, I'm, I'm using a girl in this situation, but more personally, I could use boys with mommy issues or boys with daddy issues or girls with mommy issues. It, it, a lot of things can happen from this. It doesn't have to be from the opposite sex. Point is I'm saying is that if us as parents, nowadays I think there's less of those uh, parents that are just totally naive or uninformed about this, but if us as parents are distracted by our devices, our jobs, or you know, whatever career we're in, whatever stressful things we have to do throughout the day, and we have moments where we do not give the time and attention to our young children, it is not all, like it's not, everything's not lost. Our kids still want our admiration. They will still do anything to get it. We can make up for it. We can break the cycles from that have been passed on from generation to generation. We can meet the needs. We can show up for our kids. But we can also screw up every now and then. So you don't have to be perfect at this. But I would definitely tell you guys, use your own self-assessment meter. Because like I said, I'm not there with you. You know, no one can judge you. You're already, you know, capable of judging yourself. And if you find yourself reviewing your situation with your young kids and just, you know, as you add up your times that you've, you know, not shown up for them in different ways, you don't have to be a bad parent to come across as unloving to a child. But you can correct that. You can fix that yourself. This is something that you can do. It's not too late. Even if your kids are a little bit older, that's why when I work with um, parents and preteens and teens, I'll have parents acknowledge in some of their statements, say, listen, I know in the past I haven't been there for you. I know in the past, you know, I was checked out or I know in the past that, you know, I, I, I just go upstairs and I struggled with my own stuff. And so you had to cook dinner for yourself. And, and I'm sorry for that. But even more than being sorry, I'm going to make up for that by being here for you now. It's never too late. Well, guys, if Heidi was here, she would say, she always says, thank you for helping us to like the fight. And good night.